You're about to listen to the Healthy Church Growth Show with me, Madge Abasaki, minister, author, and visionary of growthechurchnow.com. I'm also known as the Healthy Church Growth Advocate. My guests on this show are fellow ministers, church leaders, and experts in their field. We'll share practical tips to address challenges and provide solutions for the church at large every Monday. Enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hello and welcome to this week's show. Uh, This is the first of two parts on young adults, young people, millennials. uh, There's lots of different terms that we refer to them by. But I want to explore what it is that we can do as a church, as a body, to reach young people effectively and why it's so important. So I'm speaking to Phil Knox from the Evangelical Alliance, who is not only a trained lawyer, he is a performance poet and he's also the head of mission to young adults at the Evangelical Alliance. This is a stimulating and exciting conversation. He just exudes joy. I think you are going to absolutely love this episode. He talks about how we can reach young adults effectively and why it's so important. What does it really mean to be unequally yoked? And what did Jesus do? And who is really doing the evangelizing? And we're also going to talk about what church leaders can do to encourage the next generation of leaders. So enjoy this show and look out for next week's episode, which is with Erin Lashley, Millennials in Ministry. And she's going to be talking from a younger person's perspective. So enjoy the show. Welcome wherever you are in the world to this episode of the podcast. Now, we're going to be talking about young adults and how the church could be losing them. And they're called the Connected Generation by my guest, who is Phil Knox, and he's head of mission to young young adults at the Evangelical Alliance. Phil, how are you? I'm wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful to be here today talking about one of my favourite subjects. Um, really, really glad to be on this podcast. I'm doing all right, coping with coronavirus. The sun is shining. Jesus is alive. It's going to be a good day. Amen. Amen to that. And um, Phil, I, I'm fascinated by you because you've got so many strings to your bow. Now, how does somebody <laughs> that studies law, um, I don't know if you practice, you'll tell me that in a minute get to be the head of mission for the evangelical alliance for for young people so tell me tell me a bit about your journey it's a fun story i think there's some quote that says that we make our plans god laughs and then changes them and uh, certainly for for us and our family i've grown up in a family of lawyers and a family of evangelists and the kind of the deal is that you kind of choose um or god chooses for you and so um uh, my dad my grandfather my uncle all lawyers and evangelists. Wow. Um, the, the latter all practiced law far to, to a far greater extent than, than me. But um, I basically, I, I went to university um, as is just the thing that you do if you're a Knox and studied law. Um, but, and I always just had a real passion since, when it's, since the moment I became a Christian, all I've ever wanted to do is share, share my faith with those around me. 
ran my first youth alpha course when I was 13, got every lad in my class to come to church apart from one. Yeah, I've always just wanted to share my faith. And so at university, was part of a football team, was part of a gang of non-Christian mates. From in, in a million years, would not have anyone convinced me that I would have gone into full-time Christian ministry because I, I was, uh, had my heart set on a legal career doing something completely different. Um, but God had other plans. I was volunteering for an organisation called Youth for Christ while I was a student. And, uh, and at the end of my degree, um, sadly, when I was 21, my dad died. And what that meant was that my degree was postponed for a few months. Um, so when I finished that, I was praying about my future. And within a few weeks, this opportunity came up to serve Jesus with the, evangel with, sorry, with the youth, with Youth for Christ. Um, I joined Youth for Christ, spent 12 years telling young people about Jesus, saw thousands of kids give their lives to him. Uh, it was incredible. And then a year and a half ago, joined the Evangelical Alliance. It's an, been an amazing journey, uh, but at the heart of it has been God using me to see people's lives transformed by the gospel. Yeah, so you're, you're really walking in your calling now, and I, it's, it's amazing to see. And I, I watched um, a video, kind of gone viral, hasn't it? Um, and um, you, it was an Easter video called The Comeback, yeah. and it is incredible. If um, you're listening and you haven't seen it, check it out on YouTube. It's incredible. It does, it's not just for Easter, by the way. Uh, it's just it's just incredible and um, what what made you what made you film that well, where was it filmed anyway because it was incredible it was, yeah, it was. we uh, first of all it was filmed in southern spain uh, oh. just just before the lockdown the lord was generous to us in terms of the timing um but was we um we did, we wanted somewhere that looks vaguely uh palestinian um the kind yeah. of lands that jesus walked and again, yeah. God's goodness in that was incredible, man, to be honest. We had this moment yeah. where we were looking, we arrived in, in Spain to look at locations. We had a day where we were wrecking locations. And you'll see there's a moment in the, uh, there's a moment right at the end of the film where we say, uh, where we say, thine be the glory, death's lost its thing. Here's to Jesus, the comeback king. And I turn and look up and on the mountainside above me is this amazing cross. Just, it couldn't, wow. have, been, it couldn't have been better. And, um, and that was, there was, we had no idea that was there until we did the recce on the Wednesday. And it was just perfect. We had suddenly had this moment in the car where we looked up at this hill and saw this, the cross towering over us. And it was astonishing. So, so that's the kind of story behind the film. But in terms of where that came from, I've, I've always been passionate about how we communicate the gospel well, um, especially to younger generations. And, but to all generations. And I, I, I love words. My legal background tells me that words are powerful and can be used to persuade people <laughs> yeah. of arguments. My persuasion these days is persuading people that Jesus is alive, the tomb's empty, and we can have a, we can know him. Um, but um, the uh, uh, but the kind of so I've always told stories. Stories have always been kind of Jesus told stories. I found stories really powerful. Um, but also heard a quote of someone who said that the future belongs to the poets and the storytellers. And I think God has created us with great imaginations and great ability to connect ideas um, that appeal to all different parts of our brain. And so the poetry has come as a result of some of that and just a real desire to, to help people connect in different ways. And so I've recorded various different poems over the years. There's one for Christmas, which you'll also find on, on, on the EA website. Um, but that Easter piece, we felt Easter is a great moment to share share faith with those around us what would it look like to create a film that still told the story of the resurrection the greatest comeback ever 
and then it landed during coronavirus. So hundreds of churches all over the country, possibly thousands, showed that as part of their Easter message. And our prayer is that many people might have encountered the comeback king through it. Uh, it, it was incredible. And as I, as I said, I must emphasize, it's not just for Easter. It's not just an Easter message. It's way beyond that. And, and, and good, clear communication is what uh, Jesus did, actually. Um, he was the ultimate storyteller. So I just congratulate you. Amazing. And also you have um, something, a, a book that's come out called Story Bearer. Tell yep. me a little bit about that. So I've been training people in evangelism for around 15 years. And my, uh, my observation has been that most Christians find sharing their faith really uncomfortable. Um, alongside that, the, the, the most Christians don't credit a church leader, an evangelist, a pastor, a youth worker, an employed person with leading them to Jesus. They credit a friend. So I wholeheartedly believe if revival is going to sweep this land, if we're going to see something amazing happen, it's going to be through everyday Christians being equipped and inspired to bring their friends to Jesus. And I think we see this contagious message of hope flow all through the Gospels, all through the New Testament, all through the church. The church started from 12, who became 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, who today count themselves 2.2 billion. By 2050, there's going to be 3 billion Christians. The Christian Amen. faith is growing faster now than at any other time in history. But the way it spreads is through the contagious faith of one Christian, life on life to another. And so Story Bearer, the book, How to Share Your Faith with Your Friends, is for every Christian to gain confidence in sharing their faith with their friends and knowing that they hold in their heart and their hands the most contagious message of hope the world has ever known. The problem is that most of us don't feel anywhere near equipped to be able to share our faith with their friends. For me, the, the loud voice that springs out of the word is from 1 Peter 3.15, which says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And I think that reason in my experience of sharing my faith with my friends and failing a lot of the time with some successes along the way um, is that where I'm prepared to share my story. Someone says to me, Phil, why are you a Christian? I can share my story. I can share the story of God, what the gospel is all about. And I can listen well as a friend and connect the dots between their story and other people's stories. And Story Bearer is a, is, is a book to help you do that. And but, so by the end of Story Bearer, you'll be able to do a few things. You'll be able to share your own story. You'll be able to share God's story, the gospel with someone. You'll be able to pray for a few friends to come to know Jesus. You'll be a better friend. And also you'll be equipped in that moment where a friend says to you, I want to become a Christian. What do I do? You'll be able to lead that person to faith. And that I, I wholeheartedly believe that is all of our responsibilities, not just the job of the evangelist of the church. So um, I, I spoke to Andy Frost um, from Share Jesus uh, a few weeks ago, um, and I asked him, why is it that people are so reticent about sharing their stories, sharing their faith? And he mentioned the word fear. It came up about six times in the sentence. So would you agree with that? Yeah. And, and as someone whose job it is to share faith and how I, I am still, I still have fear when I share really? my faith with, with my friends. Oh, absolutely. Because I really care what people think. Oh. And I really, I really like, so, so, when, so when I'm in a conversation with, with one of my friends about, about Jesus, I, I, I genuinely, I, I don't want to get it wrong as well. 
and I know the weight of responsibility. So I'm not, I'm not scared just about what, what they think, but, but there's a whole, I still feel with my friends, but there are loads, but there are things that we can do to help us overcome some of that fear. One of those is the spirit of God living inside us. One of those is being able to share our, is having been prepared to be able to share our story. Um, but, but also just the, the confidence in God to have a go. And we don't always get it right. And, and Story Bearer, the book, is full of many st- stories of failure as well as success. I think one of the things as, as church, what we do is we, we often just tell the success stories rather than the stories where it doesn't always go so well. Um, because we have to keep going and we have to encourage re- each other. And sometimes if we just tell the success stories, someone has a go at speaking to their friend about Jesus and it doesn't work. And they go, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm obviously not that person, so I'm going to give up. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think we have to do whatever we can to overcome some of those fears, but, but I wholeheartedly believe that it's, it's friendship evangelism um, that really makes a difference. What do you mean by friendship evangelism? I mean that I've got friends, I've, we've got friends, the, the, most people will encounter Jesus through a friend, not somehow wandering into a church, not somehow hearing a street preacher. Most people, it spreads life on life. And I'm friends with non-Christians, not because, not to convert them, but I care deeply about them. And so I care about them having life in all its fullness now. I care about them being forgiven and knowing Jesus in their life now and and going to heaven when they die. So that love for them as a friend uh, flows over into wanting to be good news and share good news with them. Um, That's what I mean by friendship evangelism. Now, it's interesting because you mentioned um, uh, non-believers, people that don't believe in God, in Jesus. And uh, there is a very famous Bible quote that gets quoted and sometimes I think misquoted. And thou shall not be unequally yoked. I do hear that a lot. What do you say to that? Uh, Well, in terms of we shouldn't be friends with non-Christians. Is that well, I, I think people interpret it that way. That's not quite how, how I would see the exegesis of that verse. But what, what, what would you say to people that said that? I think that Jesus is our prime example. And he hung out with the last, the least, the lost, with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes. Yep. And he, he's, his view of holiness it's about holiness for me. His view of holiness was not that he separated himself from, yeah. that's what the Pharisees did. His criticism was of the Pharisees. His view of holiness that he, is that he would bring his holiness and the mm. presence of God into the unholy and let the unholy become holy by his holiness rubbing off on them. And I think if you look throughout the whole narrative of the New Testament, you look at Paul spending time with Lydia, you look at the whole of the Acts of the Apostles, there is this, I think that verse uh, about being yoked to unbelievers is, is about something, a much more deep, legal, different relationship Absolutely. to what we're talking about, about being friends. I think yeah. we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And, and, and we have to, we, uh, the Christian faith would not be spreading at the rate it, 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 it is if we, if, we were to, if we retreated into our holy huddles and weren't out there sharing our faith with those around us. Absolutely. Thank you. Well said. So um, I mean, we, we didn't expect to talk about um, the depths of evangelism, but it's, it's a imp- really important subject. And it's important because you mentioned the connected generation in your statement 
in the Evangelical Alliance. And actually, before we talk about that, can you tell people that don't know, what is the Evangelical Alliance? I'd absolutely love to. Uh, the Evangelical Alliance has existed since 1846, so we're really old, um, as the largest um, and most influential unity movement of evangelical Christians. So I don't know what, an evangelical, an evangelical simply who believes in the Bible and believes that Jesus, Son of God, that Jesus died and rose again, that you don't become a Christian by osmosis. There's a moment where you're converted and you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then that those that then that leads to making a difference with the way that you lead your life. That's what an evangelical is. And we're an alliance of evangelicals. We believe that in a, in a world where there is so much division, we want to bring unity across the church. And so the Evangelical Alliance is made up of tens of thousands of individuals. You can become an Evangelical Alliance individual member for just three pounds a month. You can join us. You can help increase our voice. You can add to this unity. Um, we also have churches. We've got over 4,000 churches. We will be Evangelical Alliance churches from across every denomination, Pentecostal, Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, um, and, and, and then and organisations. And it's basically, we are saying that we are the good news Christians. Um, and we exist to do a few things. The first is we exist to speak up on behalf of evangelicals everywhere. So where, uh, where, where Christians are being pushed to the, to the sidelines of, of the public sphere, we speak up at the highest levels of government on the issues that really matter um, to Christians. So one example of that is a couple of years ago, there was a bill going through Parliament that would have enabled Ofsted to come into every Sunday school and youth group in Britain and essentially vet what was being said. We didn't think this was a particularly good idea. No. What is this? P governmental control of private religion. So we stepped up and said, this isn't right. And because the strength of our membership, I'm delighted to say that government will ha has dropped that bill for now because we're able to stand up and speak on behalf of all of us. Fantastic. And, and the second thing we do is we're passionate about mission. So we really, our strap line is together making Jesus known. We believe that where the church is united, we stand a better, better chance of reaching people with the gospel. So we equip and we inspire individuals, organisations and churches to be passionate about the gospel and to reach those around them. That's who we are as the Evangelical Alliance. Fantastic. So um, I, I, meant, I only mentioned that because, as we said at the beginning, you're head of mission for uh, young adults at the Evangelical Alliance. And uh, the statement that you made was that, you know, we uh, this, this generation, and I want to drill down on what this generation actually is are the most connected uh first of all when we talk about this generation young adults what age group are you talking about uh, it's very amorphous and can be defined in lots of different ways i'm mm. i'm talking about 18 to 34 year olds that's right. not strict definition, but I think when we're looking at, we're looking at those in their 20s, and of course, life varies massively. You might have a 25-year-old who's married with four children. You might have a 25-year-old yeah. who hasn't left home yet and hasn't started a career yet. It's a, really, it's a really transitional generation. There are lots of the books on my shelves behind me um, have all kinds of definitions around what we mean by emerging adults, young adults, millennials the paradoxical generation, the thumb generation. There's lots of different <laughs> ways to find them. I think young adults is helpful because I think we, we kind of mean those in their 20s, um, but, but we're talking about that, that generation which could be full of all kinds of different life stages 
um, but is identified by most by most people in church and out of church around that kind of 18 to 34. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what we call, as you mentioned, millennial or Generation Y, um, I have to say Generation Z is a particular issue now. Um, these are people that are in their, um, I would say, late teens that are crossing over to that band as well. And yep. they're uber, con that's the first generation um, that don't have to ask anybody at all uh, for any information because they get it on Google right. <laughs> and whatever, which is frightening, really. Google's become a mentor to some of the kids. Right. But, um, so this connected generation, I know that you have a particular, um, I, I wouldn't say passion, but you know, your, your mission is to reach these people. Why yep. is that? Uh, I think it stems from uh, my heart as an evangelist. I, mm. uh, while I was a youth for Christ, I was seeing thousands of young people surrender their lives to Jesus. Mm. And at the same time, uh, the, there were reports coming out that people in their 20s were losing their faith. So between 90, so the Evangelical Alliance produced a report about 10 years ago that yeah. found between 1985 and 2005, the number of those in their 20s going to church in Britain more than halved. And as an evangelist who's seen teenagers come to faith, that breaks my heart because I, 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 I'm not just interested in hands in the air and converts. I want to see disciples made. And so, and so if people aren't engaging in church, that's a sign maybe that discipleship is really struggling, but also that mission in that generation is also struggling a little. And so a lot of my heart really for that, for that slightly older age trip came from that. And so I, I was studying for a, a master's in mission and evangelism at the time. And so decided to really throw myself into that subject as a kind of specialist area um, and looked at the defining moments in that generation that could be affecting evangelism and discipleship. Um, and so, so that's where that kind of passion arose. Uh, I was then, um, I'd always been, I'd always really admired the Evangelical Alliance uh, for, as, um, and was invited onto their Council of Reference uh, a few years ago. And then this job opportunity came up as they had a mission there. And, and I felt the Lord call me and lead me into these, into this role. Um, but also it is, it is with great passion because I, I also care about my own generation and I, I'm just a little bit beyond 34 at the moment, but I really, I really care about, about seeing a church thriving amongst all generations. There should be no missing generations in church. Um, and I, I, but I, I, I'm passionate about seeing twenties and thirties come to faith in significant numbers. I, I I concur with that, and um, I'd be interested to know whether that research um, is available to anybody, or whether they have to join the Evangelical Alliance to get hold of it. No, I, I mean it's, it is a little out of date now, but in terms of that, those kind of stats, those stats would 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 still be true. We need to look at we, something more up to date. You know, would be great at some point in terms of a big kind of church church survey. I'm sure there are some stats out there. From specific de denominations but yeah if you google a missing generation on the ea website um you'll find you'll find that piece of research um but there's also loads of other great pieces of research that are coming out from different organizations as well and and, and um uh, and, yeah. binary yeah. doing some great work at the moment yeah there's, there's, um, this one um the connected generation yeah really, yeah really brilliant yeah um I, I do look at a lot of their stuff the pew pew research are also um yeah. a very good research organization probably a little bit more geared towards the USA, but that's all very, very relevant at this time in, in, in time. So um, you talk to church leaders up and down the country uh, about how they can 
perhaps connect with that connected generation. What do you tell them? How do you work with them? So we, um, I guess the two overarching principles, one of which we have really talked at around, around, the, around for sharing faith, there's two really connected principles, which is how I see the, the world changing at, around this area of young adults. And the first is, as you say, this is the most connected generation in history. We have more connections than ever before. And the gospel spreads life on life. And it is, it, you know, to use a very live analogy, it's the most, yeah, it's way more contagious than coronavirus. You know, it is, it is just the most powerful force on planet Earth. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And, and it's just, we know, we know the impact of, of authentic Christians living alongside others and drawing them into the family of God and seeing Jesus change their lives. And so that's on one hand there's that. And then the other hand, we've got a, this is a generation who wants to belong. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I, the churches that, that, that are most effective with this generation are churches that scream, come home to a generation of young adults. And so uh, my, my time, the, the two headlines that I kind of give to church leaders are, how do we equip and inspire people to share their faith? Because that's how young adults are going to come to faith. But also, how do we, with our cultural architecture within our churches, create environments that scream, come home to young adults, so that when they come in, they, that, and, and when they encounter community, they, they think, this is a place I can call family. This is a place I can, I can belong. And so that, it's those two, those two kind of twin, twin approaches um, that I kind of spend time with, talking, to, talking to churches about. Um, and, and so, and so with the kind of, with the latter, with the cultural architecture, what I do is I simply take them around. Um, I've come up with a model, which is around a house. So we talk about homes. And so just without having a blueprint, um, because every church is different and God has put DNA in different communities is having a conversation, which says, what are the, what do the individual rooms of your house look like in terms of applying them to different values of the architecture that we're talking about when we think about young adults. So for example, we start in the hallway. And so we say, what does your welcome look like for young adults? Mm-hmm. How, does, how does someone who encounters your community for the first time say, I can belong here. This can be family to me. These are people I want to belong to and become like. I, I think, you know, so, and so for some that starts even on their website. No one goes anywhere these days, or at least didn't used to when we could be in physical buildings, without checking out the website first. Probably now that's even more important because people are looking online Church searches on Google for church, for Jesus, for the Christian faith, for prayer are through the roof in this time. It's really exciting. So how do our websites and how does our web presence say to that person, this is real, Jesus is alive. How does it tell our story as a community? How does it tell our story as, as a Christian faith? I think the reality is most church websites could do with a lick of paint, could do with a, a <laughs> could, they could they could tell the story better. And so let's let's start there. But also, when we're not in coronavirus times, when someone, when someone eventually plucks up the courage to walk through the door, what's our welcome like? How do we communicate faith to, it, to a generation who've, for whom Jesus is a swear word, Noah's Ark's a myth, they don't have the language that we, would, that, we would, 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 that we used to have? How do we make people feel really, really welcome? And so that's the first room. We then go around a number of different rooms looking at what our, what our cultural architecture looks like, how that applies to young adult culture, and how we communicate the gospel and the message of Jesus, which is timeless to a generation who desperately need it. 
So um, is this, a, 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 what's the format? A one day, is it a course, is it a workshop, is it a series of meetings? How does it work? So uh, at the moment, I've, I've, I've only been in post 18 months. And so I spent the first, I basically spent the first over a year just listening. I don't know about you, Madge, but I'm, I'm an activist. My heart, I just want to do I stuff. Am. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, so when I got the job, I was like, I've got loads of ideas, I've got loads of passion. But my, my, I think the my instinct was, let's go and do stuff. Let's come up with loads of ideas. But I felt God profoundly say to me, stop and listen. And so mm -hmm. I spent over a year listening to leaders, preaching in churches, but then hosting conversations afterwards and saying, look, what are the issues? Listening to young adults themselves, both Christians and non-Christians, reading loads, immersing myself in culture, and then thinking, what might this look like? So that's, that's kind of where we've been. And so what's, what's, what's been created organically out of that has been me going to churches, spending time with them. I'll, I'll go and preach in them in their, on their morning service and then have a lunch with their elders, with their leadership teams, and just facilitate a conversation where we go through the house. We go room by room. We go start in the, in the porch in the, on the welcome mat. We then go into the living room and the kitchen and the dining room and the study. It's great fun. But, but that's mostly for churches. It's looked like a conversation. And so then what we're, what we're doing at the moment is we're, we're creating a, a larger resource that will be available to every church for them to have those conversations themselves. Equally, if this is a conversation that you're listening to and thinking, I'd really like help in this area, as the Evangelical Alliance, we exist to serve in this area. And so if you're a church leader listening to this saying, this would be a great conversation to have, then I'm a resource employed by the EA to help church leaders have that conversation. So we'd be delighted to get in touch via the EA website or storybearer.com. Um, and I'd be delighted to help in that area. And that's, that's I guess that's what I do. Um, and it's been a conversation facilitated by a person so far. Now, what's happened as a result of that is some churches have done it for just the lunch. Some churches then developed it and, and done it as a kind of series of evenings where they've gone through the different rooms piece by piece. Another church got me back to do a, they did the lunch, then we did a Thursday evening a few months later where we delved into a, couple, a few of the rooms and they wanted, they wanted me to focus their attention onto a few practical outcomes. Um, but my, my heart, it, my encouragement is that I think the church really wants to be open to change because they recognise this is such a critical generation to be reached. Um, and also everybody wins. You know, I don't, I don't think some of the values we're talking about aren't specific for this generation. I think sometimes we need to, and my hope is that in this coronavirus moment, as we're not able to meet physically, the Lord challenges us to reflect and recalibrate what his will is for our church and some of the things that maybe we've been holding tightly to, we can let go of. Some of the things that we need to take hold of for the season ahead, we can take hold of. And I'm excited by what God's doing in his church at the moment, but also what he's going to do in the months ahead. The concept of the rooms is so powerful and relatable and uh, people basically will remember that for for you know a long time i and what i what i picked up from you was that um you know it's not just about the connected generation the younger people it's about everybody because i actually happen to represent the other scale um generation i you know i'm i'm actually um a boomer no and way. because, yeah, and because of that, you know, people feel that um, 
you, you know, you're, you're somehow out of it, but actually we have been out of it. We've been, and I, you know, I spoke to a young pastor, um, Pastor Paul from the higher place a few weeks, a couple of weeks back. And he said something that is something I don't see in many churches, which is an intergenerational approach. So what you're talking about, yes, we have missed the young people out. And there are reasons for that, uh, Phil. And one of them, I think, and um, you tell me whether the research shows the same thing, is that the last generation, that would have been Generation X, which are now in their 50s-ish, um, also didn't attend uh, a church the way their boomer mothers and fathers did. And so there is a, a, a roll-on effect. Would you, would you agree with that? I think all data is, is skewed by, by nominalism. In the sense that certainly in the UK, there was a kind of institutional feel that you identified yourself as a Christian, even if you didn't mm. have, a, have a relationship with Jesus. Mm. And so I think what's happened is, is that through the generations, um, through the kind of boomers, through Gen X, through Gen Y to Gen Z, that nominalism has been dropping lower and lower and lower. I think probably those who are passionate, resilient disciples have probably stayed pretty much the same throughout those generations. But what's reflected in church tendencies, those that, you know, no one's, no one really certainly as a, as a, it's not in any way fashionable to be a Christian as, as a young adult or a teenager. And, and what, so what, one of the results of that is we have just this incredible hardcore remnant of young adults. And so one of the real encouragements for me is I meet some extraordinary young adult Christians who are intimate with Jesus. They have incredibly connected relationships. They are culturally aware. They're vocationally discipled. They, they, they have a passion to reach their friends and change the world. And, and so I, I think those, that kind of remnant, it's interesting, biblically throughout the Bible, God chooses to use a remnant, a real core, hardcore passionate group. And I think when we see revival, in this generation and from it it's going to be from that from that core remnant and and i think we're seeing signs of that now in these coronavirus times um but i think so i think i think that the stats would be continually in decline but i think what we're losing is nominalism i think that remnant is red hot in in the young adults that i see and i think for church leaders one of the one of the core things that we we must be doing is investing to create those characteristics in the young adults that we have because it flies in the face of culture. You know, the culture kind of says, you know, the culture of young adults is, is that we are defined, we've always got an idolatry of individualism. That flies in the face of, of, of the Christian faith, which says, no, you find your identity in Jesus and in the community and in the body of the church. We have a, 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 whoa, a... whoa, whoa. Now, let me stop you there because okay. you said so much. The idolatry of individualism. Yeah. Let's unpack that. That's yeah. really important. Okay. So I, I think we, we all know, if you're part of social media, we all know that there are algorithms working behind the screens, behind the screens, that I did, that was no pun intended, behind the scenes of the screens <laughs> um, to market to us. And what they're trying to do, they, they are not 
they're not even trying to market to our identity. They're trying to create an identity for us so they can market to the, ident to the identifier that they've predetermined that will buy our product, right? That's, yeah. that's, what, that's what's happening. There are some clever people yeah. who've said, these kind of people buy our product, therefore how can we project a message and a person to market to that person? And we are bombarded, screen use, you know, and there's nothing, you know, social media is not intrinsically bad, it's great. Mm. But unless we're careful, the, the, the social media will define us rather than letting Jesus define us. And the Bible has some wonderful things to say about our identity that can, can transform us. And the resilient Christians that, that I'm seeing are not letting social media define their identity. They're letting Jesus and the community of faith define their identity. And, and that's that cultural discernment piece. If we, if we allow our Twitter feeds and our Instagram feeds and the advertisers to define us, they will. Unless we're cultural, culturally discerning and can navigate that bombardment with a core resilient identity that is not dazzled by the pixels that says, no, this is who I am because this is who God's created me to be. But is it just social media because um, you, the idolatry of individualism has it impacted inside the church as well? Yeah, potentially. I think there's, I think there's a tension with young adults where on one level, they, they're, they're, this idolatry of individualism says that we get to define ourselves as to, as to, who, as to who we are. And culture says self-expression is absolute paramount. We see this across all spheres of society, that it's all about who you are. And, and even, you know, the, pho the phone that lies next to me is an iPhone, for goodness sake. I've got an iPad. You know, Burger King says, have it, have it your way. There you go. And so I just, I think there's a society screams, be yourself, express yourself. It's all about you. Um, at the same time, this generation does cry out for community. I think there is this connected generation that, that, that and that's the tension that this generation holds. And you know what? It is summed up in the, in the mobile phone because the mobile phone has uh, screams individualism. No one else has the same home screen as me because it's, it's personalized to me. But at the same time, the mobile phone is a device which connects us to communities. And that is the tension which, which, which a generation faces. And I think, I think to some extent we do, we do see it in the church because I think, you know, certainly my generation were the type of generation who said stupid things like, I, I didn't get much out of the worship today. And, and Jesus probably says back, I didn't realise it was for you, Phil. You know, I, I think there is a, we can certainly want to tailor our own God around us. Um, I know, you know, the, the great saying is that God created us in his image and then we return the favour. Um, and, you know, and I think, I think we, can, we can certainly be guilty of that. I think, I think, as I say, the most resilient young adults, but the young adults that we're trying to create in our churches in terms of disciples are those who are culturally discerning, but also take the Bible seriously and God seriously and have a, have a healthy relationship there as well as with society. How practically do we do this? I know you're working with the churches. Um, do you actually work with groups of young people? Because I know you did a year of basically listening and research. Um, are you actually speaking to the young people as well? Yeah, so, it, so what, what, what mostly happens, it, it depends on the setting. So in terms of my, my work is mostly spent with leaders. But occasionally what will happen, and, and I really like this, is I also want to hear the voices of young adults. Yeah. So say, for example, one church I went to in, in January, uh, I, ha I went and preached there in the evening. 
um, and it was a church thriving, hundreds, hundreds of, 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 of people across multiple congregations, God doing amazing things. And so went, to, went and met and spent a kind of evening having an evening kind of dinner with a load of young adults beforehand. And so I did a bit of input, but also listened to the kind of their perspectives. Um, and so on that level, but really, I, I, we feel as the EA, our primary calling is to the church. Mm -hmm. And so then off the back of that evening, then spoke to the whole church about what I felt the Lord was saying to us as a nation at the moment. Obviously, a part of that is, is, is the kind of the young adult piece. But, but kind of, I think I just, I love the local church. I'm, I'm part of the leadership of a local church here of my church in Birmingham. And I, 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 see, I see mission and church completely intrinsically. Um, and, and again, maybe that's one of the kind of the idols of individualism we've come to that we kind of develop a superhero syndrome. And um, it's certainly not Phil Knox Ministries on the road. Uh, we, we exist to strengthen the muscles of local church, to unite the local church across the nation, but also equip an inspired church around, around mission and evangelism across every generation. It's just my specialism and my particular passion and heart is for young adults. Yeah, the individualism is quite a big key. Um, and I think what I was intimating is that sometimes, uh, even as uh, somebody who has given their life to Christ, uh, they're attending a local church, not going to church, but right. attending a local assembly, they can sometimes see the leader, whether that's a pastor, member of clergy, as almost um, the, the pseudo godhead in a yeah. way, uh, in some cases. Uh, have, you, have you seen that? Um, yeah, to some extent. I, I, think, I think what I'd say is, is, first of all, those relationships with older generations are absolutely critical to the discipleship of younger yeah. generations. Definitely. I just the pro and the challenge is, man. I don't know if you've seen this. My challenge is, is when I say to a bunch of older people, young people want to spend time with you, want to learn from you, want to become like you. It's like they have liar. It's like I've got liar written across my head because people don't believe me. But the truth is, the younger generations do. And and I think the most healthy churches I see are where there's great intergenerational community, yeah. where students arrive in churches and older families take them under their wing and have them around for dinner and teach them how to cook and wash their clothes and you know, all that kind of stuff that younger generations need. Um, you know, and, and where, to the extent where you, you talked earlier about, about younger people now can just Google how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. at its best the church younger people in churches don't google it because they've got great relationships with older generations who, who can do that for them i think all of us are prone to idolatry for me yeah. I, I i idolize sport and so for, at the moment aston villa <laughs> it's particularly this season is particularly helpful having going through the barren wasteland of no sport in coronavirus because it's helpful for, it's like an enforced fast it's great um but but I think so. I think therefore, when we you know we and we all also, I'm sure the same is true for you, man. Just for me, I I have such incredible role models in the faith who I look up to and aspire to be like. And of course, we can create, we can overstate them, and which means that when they, if they then have a fall, it can be it can be devastating. Mm. But I think I think where and there's something that leaders can do to help or or not help that. And one of the key features for, for young adults is they want accessibility to leaders. And so there's this core value of, of young adult culture around authenticity. They want to see that as leaders are walking the walk as well as talking the talk. And so one of the key 
facts of that is, is sometimes we've had a model of leadership, which is a bit, which is that the leader's on the podium, but there's no access to the leader. That will not wash with younger generations. Younger generations want to have access to our lives to see whether we are the real deal or not. And so churches that are thriving with this generation allow young adults to come around to their house and spend time with their family and, and eat with them and talk with them. And, and, and as part of their preaching, the leaders are open and authentic and, 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 and wrestle with their own struggles and talk about that as, 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 as well as everything else. So I think, I think that's, I think we, we of course, we're all, we're all open, up, open to that, but, but we have to get serious about being intergenerational and allowing people access to our lives at every level. Yeah. Yeah, that key word, authenticity, and, you know, uh, I have to say, you know, I'm part of that generation, although I, I, I feel, um, others might correct me, I feel like I still am quite connected in lots of different ways, and, uh, but what I feel is that the um, older generation, as we put it, sometimes have grown up in an environment where you don't wash your dirty linen in you know so that other people can see it uh you keep yourself to yourself you don't speak as you need to speak and i think that actually if if that uh, approach can change then we can have better and wider relationships so um I totally agree with you. Now, I want to know um, practically at this uh, end what Phil Knox can do for the churches. I think you mentioned it before, but if you could um, just remind us what, what you can actually go out and do with the churches to engage young adults. Yeah, and, and I guess it, com it comes down to those two, that, that twin approach that I talked about. And so the first thing that I can, I can offer uh, is my book, Story Bearer. And yeah. so we'd love you to check this out. Um, uh, it's been lo had lots of love and- Really good and reviews, really good reviews. Surprisingly yeah. good reviews. Now it, has, it really has, and I've been, I've been really, so I think as a church, if you want a church where you've got a bunch of people who are prepared to be able to share their faith with their friends, who are praying for their non-Christian friends to become Christians, and are capable themselves of reaching out to their friends, inviting them to your church and seeing church growth happen through every member story bearers for you and alongside the book there's a website storybearer.com which has a load of my spoken word pieces some small group material to help your whole church go through the material by the end of which every church member should be able to share their faith with their friends um, and, and be more confident in doing so and my prayer is that i guess that's the first thing i can offer and i, I would also be more than willing to speak to churches to come and run workshops and seminars in that area. So that's the first thing. The second thing around young adults is around the house. So if there's church leaders who would really value a conversation that I could facilitate around the, the house, then I'd be more than willing to come, kind of come and do that. And so for, um, and so what I, would, what I would do then on a Sunday normally, as I said, is come and preach in the morning, speaking to some of the issues around the culture and around evangelism and what the Lord is saying across the UK at this time, and then facilitates conversation for the leaders um, in, the, in that area around all the issues we've been talking about and help them come up with answers for themselves because every solution will be bespoke to its, to its context. 
around how we can move forward in this area and create a culture which screams come home to the most connected generation and see growth amongst 20s and 30s and a connected generation across across all age groups so though i guess those are the two practical things that i kind of come and do and bring um to the church that's perfect and um i suppose at the moment some of those meetings would happen uh, via zoom of course yeah. or other platforms um because we're still at the moment uh date stamp socially distanced so yeah. um that would be something that we you, you can uh do probably slightly easier at the moment yeah. but um definitely how can people get in touch with you phil um you can either you can find me any anywhere so you can get to via the evangelical alliance website eauk.org or there's a contact form on my book website which is www.storybearer.com um or i can find me on twitter at phil knox all one word p-h-i-l-k-n-o-x um yeah there's loads of ways you can get in touch with me um or via, presumably via, via umag you've got my details well, the link, uh, the link will be on the show notes anyway, the episode notes. And Phil, it's just been fantastic to speak to you. In fact, I suspect we could have gone on a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to put a 2021 version in next year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to speak to you again a little bit deeper about evangelism anyway. You're a very rare breed at the moment and that needs to change. Um, because Matthew 28, 19 to 20 tells us to go ye therefore into all Amen. the world and make disciples. So let's talk about that again. But I, I just want to say God bless and keep you. And um, may he expand you from the left and the right as well in Jesus name. And give you the power and the authority that we've all been given in jesus mighty name phil knox thank you so much for your time thank you wonderful god to bless you. you god bless thank you for listening to this episode i hope you gained some insights if you did please share the show link with other leaders and don't forget every monday we'll release another episode of the healthy church growth show